Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's interview is with Andrew Filev. Andrew is the founder and CEO of Rike, a provider of social project management and collaboration software that helps co-located and distributed teams to get things done together in real time. Andrew founded the company in 2006 and to date has raised more than $11 million in funding. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Summer. How are you? I'm great. So I've told our audience just a little bit about you. Tell us in your own words a little bit about you and give us an overview of your product and business. So a couple of words of myself, uh, about myself. I'm an engineer by training, software engineer. Uh, I started uh, my first uh, company when I was around um, 17, 18 years old, um, and it was doing quite well. And then I moved into uh, building Rike, and this my, has been my sole passion for the last uh, for about last seven years. Um, and Rike is a collaborative project management software that helps people work together uh, more efficiently and also helps them uh, do more, um, get get things done and so sort of achieve their own goals. Um, and we've got customers in uh, more than 50 countries. We've got more than 6,000 paid customers and they range all the way from brand new startups to Fortune 100 companies. Awesome. Now, before we dive into more details, we like to kick things off with a success quote. To better understand what drives and motivates our guests, what is your favorite success quote? Uh, my favorite one is by Walt Disney. Uh, and it's, uh, if you can dream it, you can do it. I love that one. Can you give me an example of how that quote has helped you in your life? Um, well, I not necessarily the quote itself, but their, their aptitude, I think, uh, as an uh, entrepreneur, you face a lot of challenges, um, and you have to keep sort of your your side on the end goal. You know, you 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 want to make you you want to make sure you want to be sure and be confident that you can get there, um, and that helps you to go through ups uh, and downs. Um, and it also inspires you to do greater things, which I think is important because um, sometimes people. Um, have those, you know, have those dreams and desires, but they're they're shy or um, afraid and they never pursue those dreams. And and sometimes that's a mistake. Okay, Andrew, let's take a journey together back to your early days and explore how you got started with Reich. First of all, tell me where the idea for Reich came from. So as I mentioned uh, before, I started my first company pretty early and it was a software consulting company and it grew rather fast. Um, so it quickly grew into micro multinational. And it was at some point, it was kind of frightening, you know, to go from five guys in one one room to multiple countries, you know, hundreds of people. It's you, you almost feel their... Uh, loss of control. It's not. It's not real. But 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 the difference is so is so big before the way you operated. You know, just a year, or two years, or three years ago, and the way you're running the business now, and and you've got the great team. It 
works their backs off. They're, they're doing a lot of important things, but the level of visibility is so much different. And so, and, and you also see a lot of, a lot of inefficiencies. And as the company grows, you know, from hundred to thousand employees to tens of thousand employees, we all know that in the corporate world, those inefficiencies are uh, multiplied even more. So, so I was always, um, I always wanted to make sure that I, I personally operate at my best performance and that everybody around me, my team um, and their teams are operating at their best performance. So, so I was never um, complacent with those inefficiency. I was, uh, I was always kind of, uh, I had a, <laughs> I almost have a gut feeling rejection of them. So, so I, I was trying to figure out what's the best um, solution that would help us work together efficiently, no matter whether we're in the same room or if we're in different cities, different different offices, different countries. Uh, it needs to be real time rather than, okay, let's meet once a month or once a week and, and then we can move forward. I wanted us to be able to make decisions instantly. And I also wanted there to be transparency and not just for managers, but for peers and coworkers as well to know you know what john is doing and what's done what's not done where do things stand and where i can help him or where he can help me so all those questions and traditionally the way people kind of get support from software is 30 40 year old technologies is uh, emails and spreadsheets and that's pretty frustrating um and we all know that story where you suddenly wake up one day and you start getting 200 emails a day and you're sending her 50 um, of those by yourself. And so it's, it's almost comparable to driving a car with no visibility. Like imagine a cardboard instead of a windshield or, and or no dashboard. So um, I wanted to create something better. And I knew that as a software guy, I knew that the technologies would allow you to do so much more these days. And it was just a matter of um, putting it together. Um, and that's what kind of, um, that's their genesis of, um, of Reich. Okay, great. So you got this idea, you're, you're personally feeling the pain with the way that, you know, you're running your business and you see an opportunity to, you know, scratch your own itch here. Um, tell me the specific steps you took to start turning this idea into a product and business. Um, I, I think for me, it was uh, quite pragmatic. So I just started, uh, well, looking at it uh, in my details, though, there were some steps. So, so first of all, because I've, at, at first I wanted to solve the problem for myself, I look at the solutions that were out there already. So I tried different collaboration tools and I tried different uh, project management, work management tools. And interestingly, at that point of time, there were two different markets. Uh, it's later when we kind of, we brought those markets together, which was one of the key insights into building a new product that work management and the work collaboration are two sides of the same coin and they, they should go hand in hand. So, so I looked at what was there and um, unfortunately, or fortunately, unfortunately for my first company at that time and fortunately for me being able to create Trike, I didn't uh, find anything that would kind of reflect my vision of how to make uh, digital work so much more effective and so with that vision um, I also uh, first first and foremost again by the nature of how I arrived at the problem I, I was first first of all thinking of how to how do I solve it for myself what are the missing links like why why doesn't this work for me and there were some 
uh, a lot of promises from different vendors, like, oh, buy our enterprise collaborations software um, from, you know, a company in Redmond. I wouldn't name the company or the product, <laughs> but we all know what the company is and we all know what that collaboration software is. And theoretically, it should solve all your pains, but then you install it and like the life continues as it continued before with you just getting more emails and um, things moving at their old pace. And so, and the same thing on the work management side, you, you got this promises that you've got this nice scheduling software and then it's supposed to make you run your projects better, but you realize that it's not just about scheduling. It's about you working together with your team and you get in real time information about where your business stands it's not like plan once and run for the next two years it's your business changes every day so so there were a lot of gaps and so i i kind of uh i felt them myself i um conceptualized them i figured out what the solution can be and then the next um aha moment was that well i'm actually not the only guy with this set of problems there are probably about billion uh people who do digital work and everybody's either um manages somebody or is being managed by somebody or more likely both and so it's a it's a huge market and so since even before we started writing code i realized that um this this is kind of a very um big and important problem for for a lot of people so i decided that we, we need to create a product that not not just kind of internal solution but a true product that would help people um, and then since I, uh, it wasn't my first company, I had already had some experience in, you know, in hiring people and, um, I had some, uh, money to invest out of my own pocket. I've, um, I've got together a team and we started, uh, working on, on the solution. Did you go out and do any kind of validation? Did you go and talk to potential customers or, or, or were you pretty confident that, that this product needed to be built? Well, there, there's some good stories and good lessons. So um, in terms of originally, so, so the first thing is uh, I, I was very confident that something needs to be done, right? It's uh, like there, what exactly is a different question, but uh, I was very confident that there is a problem and that there's a huge market. Um, and, and, and I need, I, I wanted, I had a internal desire or an urge to, to build it. It's, it wasn't necessarily okay, there's, there's this huge market with a dollar number attached to it. It was like internally, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it, it's like you just want to get it done, right? It's, it's not necessarily something forces you and not necessarily the dollars behind it. It's like you just want this problem to be solved. And so, so that's kind of um, was the, the original push. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's, it's good or bad. I definitely... Uh, I'm I'm a big proponent of talking to customers, and I think we should have done much more of that. But uh, we originally we didn't, and then when we launched the product, that there's kind of another interesting um, story there. So a lot of companies, when they first build a product, they go to friends and family, and and for us, uh, we deliberately wanted to make sure that people bought our software because they liked it and needed it rather than because they knew me personally. So, and, and again, I wouldn't recommend this, this as an approach, but the way we did it is that we didn't knock on friends and family doors. We just uh, built the software and launched it at a conference and put it online. And the first customers that we talked to besides ourselves were uh, 
people that I've never talked to before. They, they actually found our product and they tried it and they liked it and they kind of reached out and we started a conversation and I, uh, they, some of them later became friends, but it was their sort of product in need to early customer to friend rather than the other way around, friend to uh, the product. So from when the point you had this idea and you decided that you wanted to go and build this product, how long did it take you to get that first version shipped? The first version, uh, we called it beta, was shipped in less than a year. Um, and, and that was the version that we launched uh, at a conference. And then it took us uh, another six months to get from beta to product that we felt... Um, comfortable charging money for so the better was uh product was free and then kind of six months later we started charging uh money for it and we had the formal uh public launch public release did you do any marketing while you were building that first beta product uh not while building the beta uh but but after you know we, we launched it at the conference and arguably that that's already the beginning of the marketing right and then when we launched it online we started doing some online marketing we started learning it because quite honestly we knew nothing about it at that point um and so we we had to teach teach ourselves um and take it from there and how many customers did you have using the beta version of the product um honestly i don't remember but um i i i think it probably obviously grew month to month but probably dozens of companies um definitely we're not in you know thousands of businesses rushed on day one we took a more deliberate approach where, you know where we um like it's not it's not your typical silicon valley vc funded company where you raise 10 million series a before you build it and then you launch it with a splash and uh, everybody writes about it. it was more kind of under the radar uh, we built great product, we put it out there, and then slowly within word of mouth and online marketing, more and more people started joining it. But the interesting thing is that uh, kind of it it grew exponentially. So there, you know, when when you start very little, when you double that little, it's it's still little, right? And when you double that, it's still little. But but since it's a working uh, machine, you know, it's not just because you threw some money on it or you threw a big name into it. It's just be- because the product is great. It, it's working and then the law of exponent grows pretty quickly. So it, at first it was slow, but it was a continuous growth pace. And then, and, and it was a growth pace that was fueled not by some artificial things, but by the nature of kind of solving the right problem with the right tool, if you will. So at the end of this beta period, you told your uh, beta users that, hey, guys, we're going to start charging for this product now. What was the reaction at that point? Um, we were always um, very, cons- and, and still are very considerate about our customers. So I don't remember the exact dynamics, but we probably grandfathered other existing users. Um, that's what we always try to do. I, and it's very... Sometimes it's very expensive, uh, but we try to do it uh, when we can with price. And we also actually try to do it with product as well. So, for example, at some point, we developed a new version of our product, and the interface was so 
uh, radically different that we didn't want to force people to migrate on day one. So we actually gave people ability to switch back and forth between the new version and old version for, I believe, more than six months. And I think that's very unorthodox for software as a service providers. Um, and even for consumer tools, you know, Facebook, uh, one day you wake up and it's a different Facebook, right? And, and in our case, we uh, we were always very respectable of, of our customers. I always viewed them as as, as our investors, right? In, in the sense that we lived out of our revenue. We didn't have a big um, bank account or investors check to, um, to live from. So we want to make sure that our customers are happy. And sometimes that meant um, grandfathering things. So Andrew, looking back at those early days, what do you think was one of the biggest mistakes that you made? Um, I... I don't, well, actually, um, I, I think when you, you asked about talking to customers, um, and I think I told you how we approached it, but looking retroactively, I, I, would, I would do it differently. I would definitely spend more, even more time with customers. And it's kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting because you keep hearing that advice. So it's, 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 it's obvious, right? You need to talk to your customers and you heard about this from this and that, but there's a different degree to which you can make it. And when you're in this business day to day, you're distracted by thousand details. You don't necessarily do that. Plus on top of it, um, if you layer uh, my background and background for a lot of software companies founders, which is um, you grew up as an engineer, this sort of a introvertial person. You you're a little bit shy. You're afraid of rejection. You don't necessarily um, kind of go go and try to strike real conversations with your customers. You just respond to them. They email you like, hey, there's a problem, or hey, there's this idea, and you respond to them in a more transactional way. But what you really need is you you need to have several deep conversations which where you get on the phone or meet them in person and spend at least 15 minutes with them and interestingly it's like they're uh, the fear is is bigger than the problem is because most of your early customers they're actually eager to talk to you they they love you they're great they're, they're happy to help you and support you so all you need to do is just send them a personal note saying explaining why you want to talk to them and asking them for 15 to 30 minutes of their time. And they'll be eager to talk to you. And so you definitely need to, and, and, and then kind of a couple of more tactical advice. So you need to talk to different groups of your customers. So first of all, you need to talk to your most active customers. Those are your superstars, your bright spots. You, you want to understand why they're using your product um, and what they're using it for and how they use it. You need to talk to, a couple of um, sort of regular customers so that you better understand the difference between those bright spots um, and the regular customer. And you also absolutely must talk to customers who abandoned you or chose another solution. And and you need to be brutally honest with you. They're they're, uh, with yourself. The goals, the goal of those calls is not to put your words into their mouth. The goal is to, shut up and listen to what they have to say to you and, and, and try to find uh, not necessarily um, kind of prove your point, but maybe they're, you actually thought they're using your product because of one reason and they're, and it is important, but they're actually, they're, 
the killer application is, is slightly different and they're using you for, for another reason. Or maybe you thought they abandoned you because you didn't have all those bells and whistles that will take another three years to build versus, well, they, they abandoned you because they, the core value proposition didn't appeal to them. So, so I think for, for myself as a um, kind of as a person with engineering background and being introversial, that was the biggest mistake. And I, and I also bring this up because I, keep seeing that in in a lot of friends and people I know, even the ones that are experienced, even the ones that are not doing it for the first time, it's just so easy to get um, kind of to, to get it over-engaged but by the day-to-day routine and, and the things that we like to do or that we used to doing um, and kind of instead of stepping out of our offices and, and talking to customers. I think that's great advice. I think for anyone who can write any code, it's so much easier um, and, and, and prefer just to kind of go out and build a product than actually having to go out and talk to real people, right? And I also love your advice about going out and talking to different types of customers and, and really looking for different types of feedback because so often, even if we can go out and talk to customers, um, sometimes, you know, you may talk to a few and get some good feedback because that's what they think you want to hear, and so you can go away and say, great, you know, we, we we're onto something here. Um, but it's really about digging deeper and really figuring out, you know, how do, what, what is exactly the problem that they're trying to solve? And, and, and is your product going to help them do that or not? Yeah. And, and you, you actually brought um, a couple of great points. So one is if you have any idea about stats, you know that you, you need more than one data point. Uh, there, there's a, an old uh, math joke that uh, the numbers one, two, and three are prime, so the rest of them should also be prime, <laughs> right? So, so, so you, need, you need a little bit more conversations and you need diverse conversations as we, as we just dis- discussed. So um, that was one thing. And another, um, I had some other idea, but it honestly slipped off my mind. So we can just okay, uh, no problem. So Andrew, you've got you know you come out of the beta program, you've got some paying customers. It looks like you're onto something, and this could turn into a, a really successful product and business. What did you do next to start to continue to grow this business? So on the putting it in a late person language, our philosophy in the first stage of the company growth were, was very simple. First of all, build the best product because that's honestly what we knew how to do most of all other things. Uh, we knew nothing about marketing or sales or things like that. So we knew how to build good products and uh, that that's, and, and, and also I, I think that's, that's actually a good strategy. I mean, the whole software market shifted from the position where uh, you needed to have the biggest brand and the biggest uh, and highest paid salespeople to sell something down their sort of enterprise buyer throat uh, in a $2 million five-year contract to, to a world where uh, people find software on the internet, buy it on their credit cards, bring their own devices, bring their own applications and, and where product really, really matters and, and shines. So, so the first pillar was to build great product. Um, the next pillar which uh, is also very important is provide great service around that product. So something that, that we always valued a lot. And uh, as in a lot of startups, I was our first customer success rep, right? And customer service rep. I spent all that time um, answering customers' emails and getting on the phone with them. 
And while not as insightful as deep product conversation, that's, that's, that's the kind of one of the best substitutes that you can get, right? Kind of being on the line and, and listening to customers, what they need, what they want, what doesn't work for them and feeling their pain, which I think is also very important. Because if you get into this ivory tower where the customer is somewhere there and you're here, like it's, it's not going to work, right? So, so that was helping our customers and that was helping myself and, and our team. Um, and, and kind of because when you start with that mindset, uh, if you, you, you need to just carry it forward as your company grows, you don't need to reinvent things. You just want to make sure that whomever kind of um, picks it up after you shares the same uh, dedication to the customer um, and quality of service and everything. So, so that's kind of the second pillar. Uh, the third one was uh, we quickly realized that it's, it's great that we build great, uh, nice product, but uh, um, we need to let the world know about it. Otherwise, it will, you know, it's it's not an innovation until people use it. Uh, it's it's an innov- it's an innovation when it's in everybody's sort of daily habit. So we quickly realized that we need to build some either marketing or sales around it, and um, we, as I get as engineers, marketing was closer to our heart than, uh, than pure sales. Uh, and we were, um, kind of both, uh, naive and forward looking in a way that we've thought, okay, let, let's just kind of put it online and figure out how the online marketing works and tons of people will, will buy it. And eventually they did, uh, just, uh, it's, it's a journey, right? You, you have done as every, everything else you, you don't expect to, you know, wake up one day, read a book and become a professional software engineer. And same is true about marketing, right? It's, it's a discipline with a lot of kind of insights and a lot of experience to be gained over years to become a professional at. So we started um, online marketing efforts and we um, both try to put the word out, like try to uh, maybe create an interest in content around project management. And we also try to, um, advertise um, on Google and things like that. And some of them work, some of them doesn't. But over over the years, um, if you're passionate enough and diligent enough, you, you kind of quickly figure out what works and what doesn't. And what works, you then scale. And, and kind of, again, with the law of exponent, if you keep doubling things up, um, you, you grow pretty quickly. So talking about marketing, what was uh, one of your more successful marketing strategies for acquiring customers? Uh, so we, we tried different things so before, you know, before their kind of their more direct answers, we tried different things. And I think that's what companies should do when, when it's, it's a brand new area. If you, if you're already familiar with the space, so if there's a playbook that you can borrow from somebody else, like you, you can make a great hire that worked in a similar company, or you could, share a lunch with, her, with somebody who's uh, running a similar company, but um, is ahead of you in the game. So, so that's kind of the shortcut. If you don't have that shortcut, you have to try different things and just see what works and what doesn't. So we tried trade shows and it didn't work well for us. We tried this, we tried that. For us, their most effective channel um, was online marketing. So it's um, search engine marketing. It's uh, great content that we produced. Um, and then trying to build connections with some analysts and media. Although while we were pretty small, the last component was not very fruitful. Um, it's only 
kind of these days when we got enough momentum, when we start to um, get um, kind of get a lot of uh, return out of it. But when we were early, um, there stuff that we could control ourselves worked worked better for us. And I think content marketing uh, and and when we started, it wasn't called like that, right? You would call it. Uh, I, I don't even know how how you would call it. You probably could call it SEO, but it's not a SEO is fairly technical term. You would just try to create uh, great uh, content for people, create a community around your product. So uh, that content marketing approach uh, grew on us and grew on the world. I think this is one of the most effective ways to attract your customers this day. And it's kind of uh, follows a good general philosophy of help others and they'll help you. So, you know, you, you provide some value to people who are who might become your buyers, you give them a good advice. You know, you you write a great ebook or something, and then they later give back in a way that in giving their attention to your product. And if it's a good product, and if there's a match, then they can become good customers. Great. So, Andrew, we started this conversation by going back to where the idea for Write came from. And then we've taken this journey together on how you turned that idea into a successful product. You shared uh, a number earlier to say that you have around 6,000 paying customers today. Can you share any other numbers with us to help us understand where your business currently is? Um, so in terms of, uh, we, we, we're not big on vanity metrics like some other players, you know, how many free users we got or whatever. So, um, we're, we're fairly pragmatic. So for us, it's like, the, this is probably the most important number. The, the revenue we keep, uh, we're private companies, so we keep that confidential, but we're not shy to kind of share the number of uh, paying customers. So the number of Fortune 1000 customers, which I think right now is more than 40 Fortune 1000 companies are using us. And then um, in terms of more product-oriented metric, I think there are more than, 100,000 tasks created each month in our product. Um, I'm, I, I'm not sure I need to check, but I, I can tell you that uh, probably more pride, I, I'm more proud of a different metric, which is we have customers who have five users in their accounts and we have customers who have more than 1,000 users in their account, right? So, so that, the fact that the software can grow with you and scale with you, and we have customers who just started and they've you know, got a couple of dozens of tasks, and we have companies who literally have thousands of projects in the system. The fact that it delivers on promise and scales and grows with you, that's kind of one of their most, um, the metrics that I'm personally proud of. Because um, in this space, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but like if you just manage in a very one simple task, one simple project, you know, you can do it in a paper, you can do it wherever you want. It's quite simple. They're, the devil's in the details is when you kind of add this real life complexity and you want to make sure that uh, you're, you capture big projects, small projects, they evolve every day, you plug in a new team member, you plug in a new team, you plug in customer, contractor, in turn, you kind of add this real life mess and you want your collaboration system and your project management system to grow with you. And so Reich does that. And that's kind of one of the metrics that makes me per personally sort of happy and proud and everything. 
Yeah, that was one of the things. When I was doing uh, research for this interview and I looked at, at Reich and, and the thing that struck me was it, it, you, you have a real diverse set of users from anybody. You can, you can sign up for Reich and get a free account and use it to manage your personal projects through to you guys having enterprise customers who are probably managing very large project projects there. So yeah. it's very, very diverse. And when you started out, did you, did you build with that in mind or? Is that just the way things have played out? Um, so we, we built with that in, in, in mind. So so one of my um, one of my problems, and, and, and again, as I, as I discussed, I, I came um, to this space with a kind of my own background where I was running a very fast growing business, and so one of my challenges was the how do I manage multiple projects and how do I manage diverse projects? There is no way. I would wake up in the morning and go to check 20 different Excel spreadsheets or, you know, 20 different Microsoft projects files or 20 different SharePoint websites or something like I needed a system that captured all that complexity uh, and delivered it in a very, very simple um, interface to consume. So I would go and this was a couple of clicks. I would know uh, again, what Alice is doing and what's done, what's not done, what she plans to do. So Right from the beginning, I saw big, big, big challenge in scalability. And and we're talking both about technical scalability, how the system correctly handles it, but also product scalability, how there does the system ad- adapt to complexity. And and interestingly, although I was running a fairly small company, you know, it's not Procter and Gamble, uh, but because we were sort of micro multinational and because the company grew so fast and I was managing a very diverse set of things. I was mentioned delivery of software projects and recruiting, which is a very different activity and this and that and some logistical projects. So that's very complex. Um, Every single thing might not be as complex, but when you combine them all together and when they start changing every day, that's a lot of complexity. So so I wanted the system to be able to scale to that um, sort of natural chaos of real life so you could tame the chaos, if you will. Um, and then there, um, I think that's one of the, the not one of, but, but they're the single most important reason why we got there. And then there are a couple of um, additional ones. Uh, one, um, so, so one of them is that when we started, I come from the software background and in the software industry, project management is fairly advanced and you've got all these new trends with Agile, which I got exposure pretty early on. Um, about a decade ago or something. So so I got exposure to all those project management theories and different trends, including some some brand new ones. But at the same time, when I designed the product, I deliberately uh, said, and, and, and this is part of the reasons why there were not too many you know, friends and family. I said, listen, we're building a product that I think is applicable uh, to, to a lot of people. And it should be applicable to a marketing agency it should be applicable to university, church, government, anybody who's doing this work online. And so, and and because because of those different use cases, you kind of, if you support them, you naturally get that um, scalability. And and another contributing factor is kind of again through that diversity um, and through the fact that it was not the product that enterprise sales guys pushed through the throat to like three customers who each paid million dollars. It was a product that a lot of people on the web that weren't my friends, weren't, you know, my family at that time, they just 
found the product and, and, and bought it. They were very diverse, coming from different industries, different countries, and they all provided their input. They were like, oh, I want this, or this doesn't work for me, or this works great for me. So they, when you kind of each individual request is very simple, but when you try to build the product that addresses all of them, first of all, it's very it's very hard thing to do. But if you figure that out, you inherently build a very scalable solution. Um, it's kind of like leveraging collective intelligence, if you will. Yeah, and I think you guys have done just that. All right, Andrew, so it's now time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as you can. Are you ready? Sure. Great, here we go. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Stay focused. So that comes from my business partner. And as a, as a young um, entrepreneur, I've, I, was, I had a lot of ideas and kind of different ideas every day. Uh, but again, an innovation is not just an idea. An innovation is something that people use day to day. And it's a long journey that takes a lot of execution to get from the idea to work in product to the product that people use daily. So staying focused helps you to go through that whole journey rather than just starting and abandoning things. Cause you know, these days since it's, it's uh, trendy, the word pivot was very trendy in Silicon Valley right now. It's almost a joke, right? But like they're, they're all the, the media sort of um, builds that impatience in, in new generation of entrepreneurs. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to build something. And if I don't have a gazillion users on the next day after I launch, it's probably a failure and I have to build something right. new and whatever. But like you have to carry through those things. It's, it takes time to to build something great and it takes time for, for people to, to adopt it. And if you look at a lot of great innovations that really changed the way we live, um, like antibiotics or electricity or things like that, if if people just came up with an idea and threw it away and move and nobody picked it up and then and so on and so forth, we would never get to to where we are. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I I recommend to read a lot. Um, and uh, my favorite service is Audible, uh, which uh, you can you know listen to um, in all sorts of different places uh, when you're flying or um, commuting or but please drive safely or in, in other scenarios. So, so I, I, um, I read or listen to a lot of books. When I began, uh, I, the book that I really remember and it stuck in my head was um, Jim Collins um, is the author and he's, he has multiple books on, on business and I really loved his advice on leadership and some other things. So it stays, um, kind of stands out in my, in my head, but then there are tons of other great books. And these days you get a lot of stuff on cognitive science and um, a, a lot of other kind of interesting things. Which was the Jim Collins book, Built to Sell? Uh, <laughs> Built to Last, you mean? Uh, Built, Built to Last, you're right, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's either that or good to great. Uh, I think mo- most, if not all of his books are, are good. I uh, recently read his his last one, forgot what its name was, but it was actually, actually had a lot of great advice as well. So uh, pick pick any, and I think any of them would would, would help, uh, or at least you could you know read an executive summary of it. Okay, what's one attribute or or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? I think 
perseverance. And then I think to have it, passion is also important. Otherwise, you're either stupid or insane, right? You you have that, you need to have that patience to go through, through up and ups and downs. But the thing that should carry you is, is passion. And it's either your competitive spirit or willingness to help the world or desire to change things. Or for some, it could be money. But whatever it was, you have to be very passionate about your cause. Um, and through that, you have to be very patient because uh, overnight success takes seven years to build. Right. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Uh, my favorite one is called Top 5. So it's both personal and team technique. Um, you uh, build a weekly cadence of planning where at the beginning of the week, you plan five most important things for this week for you to accomplish. And five is not a magical number. You can do whatever makes sense at this particular week, like three or, or seven or one. Um, but but the key point there is discipline to do it regularly. And then another key point is doing retrospective. So each each week, you're not just planning this week, but you're also looking at their past week and, and reporting for yourself and what you've done and, and what not and why. And then when it becomes really supercharged is when you also kind of share those uh, those top fives across your team and it works well in kind of small units. It's not it's not an activity that hundred people should participate simultaneously, but in a small in a small unit, it helps to uh, put everybody on the same page. So kind of every, all of your coworkers are aware of who's doing what. It helps to cross-coordinate it helps to resolve the roadblocks and it also helps to build execution discipline and kind of this um fast fast pace so that's one of my favorite ones great and if you had to start over tomorrow what type of business would you build uh i would still i would still build right because there's uh, again as as i mentioned to you in my opinion innovation is something that's that's widely adopted and used daily. So we've already built great product and we already have a lot of great customers who are kind of early in this market. But I, everybody who does their work online needs a better tool than email and spreadsheets to work together and to, to manage that work. So for me, we're not, we're not at the end of that journey. We're just at the beginning. Um, so that's uh, kind of one thing. And then there are more... Uh, if you want a more fancy answer, like outside of work, something um, different. So I'm I'm a big fan of uh, robotics and artificial intelligence. Um, so whenever I have a minute that's free of work um, and and I want to kind of keep my, my brain busy, but busy with something different than, than my day job, um, I love to kind of dive deeper into to those areas, uh, machine learnings, robotics, artificial intelligence. So I think there, uh, there will be a lot of big, important innovations in, uh, that should come to our life from the advancements in those spaces. And then something more pragmatical, I think there's a, an explosion in uh, what I would call marketing technologies. Um, and it's interesting because we're um, in the Reich, we actually are at the forefront of it. We've, we've built a lot of uh, stuff internally that, we now see whole companies being launched around and actually whole markets 
been created around like things like predictive analytics and other things that we've uh, uh, created internally early days because they were not available from, from anybody. Um, and there are a lot of, uh, and obviously a lot of companies need those things. So now there, there, there are a lot of companies productizing those ideas. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Um, I train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is kind of like Judo. So for a guy, uh, and if you talk to somebody who knew me from uh, high school, I was this uh, nerdy guy who was great at math and computer science and physics and chemistry and very, very bad at, you know, track and field and soccer and those kind of things. And so, uh, and these days I, I train and I even competed. I competed at Pan American championship at us open. So, um, it's kind of, kind of interesting, but I, I like challenges. So, and I'm very competitive. So it's at one point I, I started playing squash and it kind of got me into being more fit. And then at some point I picked up on, uh, BJJ, uh, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and so kind of um, stuck stuck to this as my sort of fitness routine. Awesome. And the last question, what is one of your most important passions outside of work? And you may have already told me those. <laughs> no, it's it's actually uh, kids and family. So I've, I've got two boys and they're lovely. Uh, they're kind of very fun. Um, to do stuff with and you we kind of they learn every day and learn much faster than i do so i have to catch up in some in some cases um and and you also gotta relieve your childhood a little bit and do the stuff that you wanted to do but never done so that kind of gives you an excuse as a parent you can uh pretend that you're playing with your kids and play for yourself a little bit <laughs> all right those are great answers andrew um, I want to thank you for joining me today and talking about Reich. I really appreciate you sharing your experiences and insights with our audience. If folks want to find out more about Reich or they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So to learn more, they should go to reich.com, W-R-I-K-E.com. Um, they could, you could start the free trial or you can join, uh, kind of um, sign up for the free version of the product altogether. We've got a freemium version. And then uh, to contact me, I think LinkedIn is the best way. So they can find me there and send their connection request. I'll find they want to chat and um, I'll likely accept it. Awesome. Thanks again, Andrew. And I wish you continued success. Cheers. Thanks a lot.